0: Uh, It's good to see you guys once again. If you have a Bible with you, open it up or turn it on. Go to the New Testament book of Colossians chapter 3. Today we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. So Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Also, uh, reach inside of your worship bulletin, find your message notes, take those out. Today's scripture passage is printed on both sides, and there's some fill-in-the-blank notes for you. This is a way for you to just sort of follow along with me in today's uh today's message we're in a series through the book of colossians called next level and the goal of this series is to learn how to take our faith in jesus christ to the next level whatever the next level may be in your life i want you to look to the person next to you and say next level all right got to wake y'all up next level and again, next level is different for every person, and the reason for that is because all of us are at different levels of our faith. Some of us are are are, are old timers. We, we've been Christians for a, a long time. I grew up in church. My my mom is a pastor's kid, a preacher's daughter, and uh, but she's a really good one. Preacher's kids get a bad rap sometimes. I think I have pretty good kids, but my mom was a good one. But man, we grew up with Jesus. I I feel like when my mama set the dinner table at home every evening, she she practically set a a place for Jesus. I mean, I I grew up knowing Jesus. I put my faith and trust in Christ at an early age. So I've, I've been a Christian for a long time, but then some of you here are new believers, And then there are folks in between. So the next level in our relationship with Christ looks different for all of us. Now, you may remember about the book of Colossians that it was written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians at Colossae in an area in Bible times that was called Asia Minor, but it's modern day Turkey. And it's a a short book, only four chapters, and and it's more like a letter than it is a book. And in the first half of this letter, chapters 1 and 2, Paul straightens out the false teachings about Jesus that have creeped into the church. And so he gave them the truth about Jesus, who he is, and and also who we are in him. And then in chapters 3 and 4, which is where we're picking up today... Paul teaches us how to listen, to live out the truth. In other words, it's not enough to just know the truth. You have to learn how to live out the truth. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is about knowing. Listen, it's about knowing and it's about doing. It's about knowing and doing. You have to know the truth But then you have to live the truth out. And so over the next three weeks, including today, as we start to wrap up this series in Colossians, we're going to learn how to practically live out our faith, the truth in Christ, who he is and who we are. And Paul does something kind of interesting. He uses a couple of different metaphors. One is... A military metaphor. And I'll try to remember to explain that when we get to it. But then he uses the metaphor of of changing clothes. Like taking off the old clothes and putting on the new clothes. Except he talks about it in, in... Well, like you're taking off the old you and putting on the new you... Karen and I will be married 25 years this May. Amazing. I deserve no credit. She deserves all the credit. She is the sweetest person. Do you know Karen? Sweetest person I've ever known. And I I would dare say she might be the sweetest person you've ever known. Now, she's tough, too, because she's been married to me. And that's not easy. You have to be tough to do that. And... uh, and she's pretty tough, but she's sweet. Now listen, I'm telling you this because she's not in here. Um, she is so nice that sometimes she struggles to be direct even when direct would be better. Do you know what I'm saying? Let me give you an example. We had been married uh, may- maybe, uh, maybe three or four years I was trying to finish my graduate degree, my seminary degree at, at Gardner Webb, and um, so I was I was uh, a full-time student. I was a part- I had a part-time job, and I was also pastoring a small church at the time. And I, I was trying to finish up all the requirements for uh, my last year, actually my last semester, coming down to my last class in, uh, in seminary. And it was a preaching class. And uh, so I had to wear a preacher's disguise. A suit and tie. Now I have suits and ties. I actually like to wear a suit and tie. But if you see me in a suit and tie, it's either great news or terrible news. The great news is somebody's getting married. Terrible news, somebody's getting buried. So, or if I'm in a preaching class in a Baptist school. So here I am, I'm walking out the door, everything I need. I've got an hour and 20-minute drive to class, and I have suit, tie, I have my books, everything. And so I'm walking out the door. Now, Karen and I have been talking as I've been getting ready. I've been, like, going through my sermon. This is what I'm going to say. What do you think? And she's kind of adjusting things. Well, again, she's in the bedroom while I'm putting on my tie, you know, trying to straighten everything out. And uh, as I'm walking out the door, she said, um you going to wear that? <laughs> it, yeah, I'm going to wear I'm walking out the door. We, we've been talking. I'm, I'm, I'm headed out. I'm going, to, I'm going to class to preach. Yeah, I mean, you don't think I'm going to change on the way there or change into something more formal or more comfortable. When I get there, yes, I'm wearing this. She said, that tie and that shirt do not go together. Well, I would rather her just be more direct earlier, like when I'm putting on the shirt or maybe when I'm tying the tie and not just sort of indirectly as I'm walking out the door. And so I'm a little bit miffed. And so I'm like, well, what do you know anyway? And I just kept right on going. Of course, I had to apologize for that later. But I'm sitting in class and a buddy of mine comes in And he slipped something to me. I look down at it, and it's a tie. (laughs) He's like, I like the tie, I like the shirt, but those colors do not work together. You cannot get up in front of this class and preach with that tie and that shirt. So I said, What do you know? And I got up there with my sock tie from the 1980s. And I rocked that sermon. (laughs) But Paul will say to the Christians at Colossae. Are you going to wear that? Are are you going to wear that old life? That old self? Now that you're a follower of Jesus. You need to update your life. You need to update your spiritual and moral wardrobe. You need to take off the old you, the old wardrobe, the old clothes, and put on the new. And in Colossians 3, 1 through 11, he gives us two very important instructions for how to do this. If you're taking notes, write these down. The first one is focus on things above. Focus your life on things above. Look at uh, Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4. Paul says, so if then you have been raised with Christ. Now now what that lets you know is that everything he's about to say, not just in the four verses or the 11 verses or even uh, just this whole chapter but everything else that Paul says in chapters 3 and 4 is based on what he just said that Jesus is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation and in Christ when you follow him you're a new creation so it gives us the truth about Jesus and the truth about who we are in Jesus and he says so if then You have been raised with Christ. It's an interesting way of comparing who we were to who we are. He said the old you, the old wardrobe, that sock tie, that's been dead and buried. And I think Karen actually did bury that tie. But but the old you is dead and it's been buried. He says, "Now seek things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds and and also some translations include your hearts. Set your hearts and minds, which means your thoughts, your love, your loyalty, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God when Christ, who is your life, appears." then you will also appear with him in glory. See, in Paul's day, pagan religions had very little to say about a person's morality. So a worshiper could go into a pagan shrine and lay down his offering on the altar and then walk away living as the same old sinful person he or she was when they walked into the temple. So what a person believed had no real impact on how he or she behaved. So listen, the Christian faith brought a whole new concept into the world, and here it is. There is an important connection between what we believe and how we live. Let me say that again. I want to make sure you get that. There's an important connection between what we believe and how we live. See, listen, a lot of us, and I I would say that most of us in this room or most people who are listening right now would say, I believe in God. In fact, we would say, I'm a Christian, but we live like we're atheists. We live like there is no God or we live like we are God. Having faith in Christ means that we are united with Christ. That's why Paul says in verse 3 that we are now hidden with Christ, which means we share his life. And listen, if we share his life, then we have to follow his example. Being a Christ follower means that you're not going out living life your own way, following your own path, You're following Jesus. You're walking in his footsteps. Does that make sense? In other words, through Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, you are no longer who you used to be. You're different, you're changed. And so Paul says, stop living like the old you and start living like the new you. Take off the old you, put on the new you, the new you in Christ. And so here's the thing. Even though we live in this world, we have to keep our feet on the earth, right? But our thoughts have to live in the heavens. D.L. Moody was a great preacher of the 19th and early part of the 20th century and he said that one of the problems with Christians is that we're so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good you know we're always thinking on spiritual things and we never make a difference here on earth and and that's not what I'm talking about but I am saying what Paul is trying to say and that is that when we follow Jesus we now live under the direction of Jesus Christ That means that the things we do, the way we live here on earth, is is directed by heavenly things. We begin to see earthly things the way they are seen and the way they are measured in heaven. This has been a tough week in ministry. It's it's been tough... Um, It's been tough with Mike. Um, His passing, it it was just sad in a lot of ways. Also, it was a relief in some ways. And then, you know, kind of right on top of that, uh, we lost one of the the best human beings that ever walked this earth, Billy Graham. Um, I never got to meet him in person, uh, I did hear him preach a couple of times, and just a uh, just a great person, a great Christian. I mean, how many people in your lifetime have have been honored to to lie in honor in the nation's capital? I, I mean. That is reserved for the very best of us. And um, he'll he lie in state or lie in honor uh, this week in Washington. His body now is at the Billy Graham Library where he'll be buried um, at the end of this week. Have you ever been to the Billy Graham Library? Just a show of hands. It, it's quite a place. If you've never been there, I, mean, I would encourage you to go. It's, it's, it's not like going to... A presidential library like Nixon's library or Reagan's library I mean those are fine but the Billy Graham library is not about Billy Graham I mean of course they they tell his life story in in, in a roundabout way but it's really about Jesus and the difference that Jesus can make in and through a person who has fully surrendered to him that's really what it's about. And you'll see when you go there that from the very beginning, they tell you about a young farm boy from Charlotte, North Carolina, that the Lord used to preach the good news to millions of people all across this world. It's just phenomenal. And one of the things you'll learn when you go there is uh, is that Billy Graham was recruited by Hollywood especially in the 40s, the 50s, and, and some into the 60s. In fact, there's a media room that you go in and you see um, old movie clips, some, some still shots of him with some of the most famous people ever in Hollywood. Um, he's on the Johnny Carson show. Uh, how many of you are old enough to remember the Johnny Carson show? Or Well, it was actually uh, the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, Right. Oh yeah, there there he is. Now that's Billy Graham the way I know him. When I think of Billy Graham, that's the, the picture I have of him in my mind. But he he was on Celebrity Roast with Dean Martin and John Wayne and Don Rickles and and just or Don Rickles, just all those guys. And I think it was the end of the 1940s, maybe the early 1950s, when one of the big filmmaking companies in Hollywood, offered Billy Graham a million dollars, which today would be like seven or eight million dollars. They offered him a million dollars to walk away from the ministry and come to Hollywood to make movies. And if you see him in the 40s and the 50s, ladies, he is a good-looking guy. He's a tall guy. He's so well-spoken. He's full of charisma. He would have made a great movie star, but he made a better preacher made a a much better evangelist and he always said no he said no to hollywood he said no to the democrat party and the republican party anytime they asked him to run for president they said that there's about a 30 year span where if he would have decided to run for president he would have won hands down no one would have been able to touch him in an election but he always said no why because he was focused on the heavenly things, the things that are above, not the things that are here below. The only thing that Hollywood could offer him is, is some money and, um, and some fame and probably a lot of heartache that comes with some of those things. And he said, No. Listen to what Jesus said about this very thing in Matthew 6, 19 and 21. He says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Jesus is saying, focus on the heavenly things. Invest your time, your money, and your energy into things that will matter, not just for a few years, for a few decades here on this earth, but for all time, for all of eternity. Focus on things that are above. Now, in verses 5 through 11, Paul starts talking about the really practical things. He gets very practical about how we do this, how we refocus our lives, how we redirect the direction we're heading in. So here's the second instruction he gives us. Write this into your notes. He says, destroy your earthly nature. Destroy your earthly nature. And the word he uses here for destroy, or I've interpreted it as destroy. It's a military term, put to death. What it really means is slayer. Be a slayer of earthly things, not as in slayer, the heavy metal, hard rock band, but a a slayer of earthly things. And again, this is where Paul gets practical, but listen, not only does he get practical, he gets very tough. And uh, I'm gonna warn you. We're going to talk about some things that are at least PG-13. Maybe rated R. Now you're listening, aren't you? See how quiet? you got quiet and everybody looked right at me. So let's look at Colossians 3, 5 through 11. Paul says, therefore, now that you're going to be focused on Eternal things. Put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Declare war on it. Which not only says something about the person who's doing the fighting, but it also says something about the enemy. That it's not an enemy that's just swept away lightly. You have to declare war on this. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. And then he starts to list them. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. That's sobering. It was sobering to the Colossian Christians. It should be sobering to us to think that, Before Christ, we were an enemy of God and in danger of feeling his wrath. But now, which lets you know that things have changed. But now, put away all the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ, he says, there is not Greek and Jew circumcision and uncircumcision, which remember, these are some of the things that the Colossian church is dealing with. Barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Listen, let's just be honest about this. Like everyone else, Christians have always had to deal with evil and immorality. I mean, we've seen it in the church in our generation, and it, it, it shows up in churches because it shows up in our individual lives. Listen, we all have a natural bent toward evil and immorality. There's no such thing as a perfect church because it's populated with people. Christians are people too. And the Colossian church, they're obviously dealing with sexual immorality and the sins that Paul lists here. I mean, otherwise, why would he write about them? He's addressing them because they're dealing with them. And he doesn't hold back. So I'm not going to either. Think of how uncomfortable this would have been. He starts naming the sins. Now, before I start going through the list of sins, I want you to remember something that's very important. Moral living, living a good life does not save a person's soul. Only a personal faith in Jesus Christ can save a person from his or her sins. Instead, moral living is our response to salvation. And so Paul is telling us that we're to live a life that's in keeping with our new existence, our lives in Jesus Christ. We, we need to live lives that are worthy of Christ. So he tells us in verse 5, put to death what belongs to your old earthly nature. Literally, he's saying destroy whatever is of the world that is in you. And he gives us two lists. Each list has five different things. So why two lists and not just one list of ten? Well, because the list go toward different things. Like um, the first list has to do with the things that we typically think of as earthly things or, or fleshly desires. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed. All of these things are fleshly desires. And listen, all of them were a part of Roman pagan worship. I don't even want to tell you what their religious gatherings turned into. And that's why Paul says that these things are, are idolatry. These things become like gods in our lives. And then in the second list where Paul talks about anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language... He says these things are as much evil desires as as a sexual sin. And churches aren't really great at understanding this. For example, uh, most churches would never let a man... Who is living in sin, they would never knowingly let him be a leader. But churches have a way of letting a gossiper and a liar be a leader. Paul says both of them are sins. And the goal here is not legalism, but what Paul tries to do as he points out these sins is he tries to show us that there are consequences of sins in our lives. And he takes them seriously and he says we should take them seriously because God certainly does. And maybe the most unfortunate thing in our culture is that we have lost the tragedy of sin today. So here's the list. Impurity lust, evil desire, and greed. These are all under the same category of sexual immorality. Impurity is sometimes called uncleanness and it refers to the diseases that are connected with loose sexual immoral living. And they certainly understood this in the Roman world. that They were encumbered with sexually transmitted diseases. I mean, that's where things like bathhouses and um, different scrubs and washings came from because they were doing everything they could to try to get rid of these sexually transmitted diseases. And what they didn't know that we certainly understand today is that um, this uncleanness, this impurity is not just a physical thing. We, we know that it's a, it's a mental, an emotional, and a, and a spiritual problem, a spiritual hurt. I mean, for example, we know today how much it hurts a person mentally and emotionally who's been sexually abused. They didn't understand that and honestly didn't really care about it. Lust is a state of mind that's excited by sexual immorality. Evil desire refers to a a base sexual practice where the, the person's pleasure is based on hurting or abusing someone. And then Paul wraps up that list with greed. Greed is the sin of desiring more, more things and more pleasure. This is the person who, who looks like they have it all, but they still want more. This is the person who's jealous or envious of someone else's successes. And so here's what Paul wants us to know. Listen, because I've got to move fast. Paul wants us to know that if we're going to change our lives, it starts in the thought world because it's our thoughts that produces actions. Our actions produce habits. Habits produce a lifestyle, and the wrong lifestyle leads to death and destruction, and so he says in Colossians 3.2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Psalm 51.10, write that down into the margin of your notes. It didn't make your, your notes. Um, but this, this verse hit me this morning. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. That ought to be the prayer of every Christian every single day. Create in me a clean heart, a new heart, O God. And renew a right spirit inside of me. And listen, Paul then turns to the next list. And now, now he, he turns towards social sins. Anger, which is having a bad attitude toward other people. Now if you didn't make the first list, I guarantee we're all going to be on the second list. The anger caught most of us right there. I can just see it by the smiles on your face. Wrath refers to the sudden outburst of anger. Malice is an attitude of ill will toward a person. You're guilty of malice when you're sad when a person is successful and you're happy when a person is in trouble. Um, I had to repent of this sin yesterday out on eighty-five. I'm doing 75. This guy passes me like I'm sitting still, almost runs into me. A couple of cars out in front of me. And Lord, have mercy. I was just, that's the kind of guy that needs to get pulled over. About three miles down the road, there he is sitting on the side of the road. I just blew the horn as I passed by. Malice. Malice. Slander is speech that tears other people down. And a lot, a lot of times, slander masquerades as gossip. Gossip is a sin. You want to know the sin that destroys most churches, just tears them apart? The, the, the sin that tears most relationships apart, it's gossip. And you know what gossip is? Gossip is talking with someone about a problem who doesn't have the power or the influence to fix it. Got quiet in here, Adam. And then filthy language is using foul and obscene language. It seems like the common noun, adjective, and verb these days in our society is the F word. Lord have mercy. When I was a kid, you rarely heard a man say it. Now women use it all the time. But then the last sin that Paul names is lying. You know, the the Bible describes Satan as a liar. And Paul couples these things together, Satan and lying, by, by making it seem this way, that whenever we're lying, whenever we're... Um, intentionally misrepresenting the truth. Even when we tell something in truth, but we give it the wrong tone to sort of shape it in a way that's deceitful, we are partnering with Satan. Write down this, Acts 5. Acts 5. You should go this week and read the story in Acts 5 about Ananias and Sapphira. They were struck down for lying to the church. Boom. God turns them into a greasy spot for lying. Paul says that sin, especially like the sin of lying, is such a big deal because it divides us. It divides us up. It divides us up on the inside. It divides us away from other people. It destroys a church because it destroys the trust. It makes the relationships weak. And I want to tell you this. Just as we wrap up, I want to tell you this. I want you to hear it Maybe be the most important thing I've said today. And some of you are thinking, well, why didn't you say that first? Paul is trying to teach us that to have a relationship with God means to have a relationship with his people. And what he wants among his people so that they grow stronger together and even larger at the same time, he wants them to have trust. He he does whatever he can to keep us from being divided. Paul says, you are renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. He says in Christ... There is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. The Roman society has done just like we've done in our society. They divided people up. To say Jew and Greek, that's about race. Uh, To say um, circumcised and uncircumcision, like they're dealing with in the church at Colossae, that's about religious things. And then to talk about barbarian and slave and Scythian free, that's about dividing people up economically. But Paul says, listen, in this new community, this new people that God is creating, that he is putting together, there's not any of that division. It's Christ in all for all. Let's stand together. I'm going to close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, not one of us in this room is free from at least one, I would say multiple, of the sins on this list. Lord, it's not its not a, meant to be a list that says, you know, it's just about the do's and the don'ts. So anything not on this list, we we can do that. It's not about that. It's about pointing out to us the fact that we need you, that we're sinners that need to be forgiven. And then once we are forgiven, then the testimony about our faith that we call ourselves Christians should match the conduct of our lives. Lord, the sins, the pet sins that are represented in this room, I pray that you would set us free from them. And for the person who's here that's struggling with sin, they've never been connected with you in a relationship before, I pray that right now he or she would say, Jesus, And the best way I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and I submit my life to you. It's in your great name we pray. And those who agreed said, amen. God bless you guys. I love you. Have a great day and a great week.